my first thought was, wow, that's forever away. Sure, let's go do that. That'll be fun. And then I realized you had to get on a plane to get here. Uh, Y'all, I hate flying. I hate it. I could not convince my husband to drive us. I tried. It's 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 not that far. It's not that far. It's 3,700 miles. It's not that far. Not a big deal at all. It did not work. We got on a plane. Um, God is really good. I actually looked out the window while we flew this time once. And um, it's, it's really beautiful, but whew, I do not understand that whole physics. Thank you for having me. I've been so incredibly spoiled this week. You know you're in trouble when you get a text that says, Hey, I'm getting your room ready. What kind of pillow would you like? Here are your options. And I told the ladies at school, I said, y'all are not going to like me when I get back next week because I'm about to get so spoiled. What a wonderful, wonderful week it has been, and um, I'm so grateful to be here. I've, if you will indulge me for one moment and let me share a story with you about a young man that you probably know whose name is Tony Collins, who lived here, grew up here in this church, who moved away to become an Arkansas Razorback Woopig Zooey who met a cotton-top 12-year-old, 13-year-old, and invited him out to play frisbee golf. And our son Joshua was elated when Tony would pull up in that yellow Mustang and say, come on, Joshua, we're going to go play frisbee golf. And Joshua would sit, and all you could see were his eyes, because it sat so low. But that young man, Tony, made quite an impression on our kiddo, and Joshua and Tony, um, I love to imagine about heaven. I think they're probably having a great time playing ultimate frisbee in heaven. And so, I uh, love, we love Randy. She lives not far from us, and um, she was one of our adopted college kids when she was in college there. And so we we got to know Randy even better than we got to know Tony. And and so they what a blessing they have been to us. Um, let's jump in. Let's pray before we jump in because I am still nervous. Usually getting through a couple of quick stories kind of calms your nerves. It's not working tonight. So let's pray. We'll let God work on that. (laughs) Father, thank you so much for bringing us here together, Father, in, in a place that your fingerprint is just everywhere. God, I look at the majestic mountains and the beautiful snow and, God, the moose that walk around and, and I see so much of your creativity, Father, and I'm so grateful for this beautiful place. Father, I'm thank you I'm thank, thankful for these sisters that you've put together in this church to work for you. And Father, I just ask that that as we dig into your word, that you'll make it clear to us how we can serve you better, that you'll make it clear to us how we can have a mindset that's focused on you, God, and not on ourselves. And Father, that in everything we do, we will always bring you honor and praise. Thank you, Father, that we do not have to do this alone. Thank you that we have one another. Thank you that we have Jesus as as the ultimate Savior, God. And thank you for the promise of heaven. It is a place that we do not yet really fathom and a place that we long for every day. Thank you for all that you do for us, Father, the things that we realize and the things that we don't. And, And God, please open our eyes so that we can see all the ways that you lavish us every single day with your goodness. Father, we offer all of this in the name of your your Son and our Savior. Amen. Uh, let's, let's dig in. We are in a war. I don't know. Down in the lower 48, I had to say that. 
So I did that now, down the lower 48. It may be different up here. I don't know. But in the lower 48, we are in a war that is just waging all around us, and, and it can be so suffocating sometimes. And so much of it is because we don't have a moral compass anymore. Like, we have totally forgotten what truth is. You have your truth, I have my truth, they have their truth, and everybody's truth is acceptable. And the reality is, that's not God's truth at all. Nothing will destroy God's church faster than forgetting where our truth is. Nothing will cause more disharmony and discord than not knowing the truth and not being able to stand on it. So then we have to find, why are we in a war? Like, I didn't sign up for a war. Did you sign up for a war? I did not. So how is it that we came to be here? This world is not our home. And I don't know how often y'all sing that song, but I'm going to tell you that before Joshua died and we sang about heaven, it was very different than after Joshua died and we sang about heaven because heaven has become a place to me that is so real and so beautiful, a place that every day I think, God, I'm ready. Like, when do you, do you want to come get us? This is not where I belong. I don't even feel comfortable on earth anymore like I used to. Um... We're not meant to be here. In Philippians 3.20, and and we're going to read it because I love to read God's word. It tells us, when I can find the 20, there it is. But our citizenship is in heaven. It's not here. I mean, we probably, a lot of us have passports. We have documentation that tells us we're citizens here, but we're not. We eagerly await a savior from heaven. That's where we belong. The Lord Jesus Christ. And I used to tell the kids at school, I know you think heaven is a long way off, but you need to know that this mama gets up every day. She puts on her cute clothes and her makeup and she says, Jesus, I look cute today. Come and get us. Like, I want to be, ta- I want to be taken home in this. All right? It makes sense that we're, in a, that, that we're in a war because we don't belong here. We're foreigners. We're aliens. And, and when Paul wrote about this, and he was, he was talking about Roman citizenship, and that meant something. That was a thing. If you were a Roman citizen, you couldn't be tortured. You had all these rights that other people didn't have. And, and we do, too, in America. We have a lot of rights that other people don't have. It can get really easy to kind of feel like we're in a place that we belong and we don't. There are so many things about Philippians that I want us to dig into tonight, and so I've set a timer so you know when you start snoring, I should be done. Um, but I want I to I get to some things that are important, like some key information before we get into, into our topic of truth and beauty. Had a lot of fun giving Miss Bernita a little bit of a heart attack today at lunch, and I said, oh, that's our topic? <laughs> that's my one joke. <laughs> um, what do we know about Paul? He was a Pharisee. He studied, studied under, um, and I'll probably say his name wrong, Gamma, Gamaliel. Gamma, I always say that wrong. He persecuted the church. Bad. The chiefest of sinners. He was shown the truth, and then he did something different. In, in Acts 8.1, Scripture tells us that not only did Saul give approval for the death of Stephen, like the original Greek word for that, which I also can't pronounce, actually translates to take pleasure. 
So it wasn't that he was just a bystander. He took great pleasure in one of the earliest tragedies of the church in watching someone be stoned. Can you imagine the distrust that people had for him when he suddenly began to preach Christ? I'm not sure that I would have trusted him. Here we are reading his words 2,000 years later, and we learn so much from, from them. When, when we dig into a, a book of the Bible, there are so many different ways that we can look at it. And I found a new way when I was studying this time. There's a, a, a person, his name is Danny Petrillo. He calls it the, 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 the way that you find the purpose of a letter, the four Ps. First, you look for a purpose statement. It's not really a purpose statement in this letter. In fact, a lot of scholars believe that it's a compilation of several letters or that maybe even some things were left out, that there are some points that are discombobulated. It didn't seem discombobulated to me, but I'm also not a scholar. Um, So there's not a super specific purpose statement. The second thing that we can look at are themes, and there are a lot of very prevalent themes in, in Philippians. Joy. Oh my goodness, the joy that Paul talks about in Philippians and from jail, from prison. It's like, how can you have so much joy from prison? But he did. Humility, thanksgiving. There are a few exhortations. Um, The third thing are petition verbs, like the things that he wanted to ask them to do. And there are two petition verbs. In the whole book of Philippians, there are only two petition verbs. We're going to come back to that part Um, and then the third thing are prayer the fourth one because we did the four purpose statements prevalence uh, petition verbs and prayers and there are two prayers that are mentioned in Philippians in chapter 1 verses 3 through 5 he talks about a gospel focus above all else being focused on the gospel and also in chapter 1 verses 9 through 10 he talks about love for one another so that they can approve the things that are excellent. A little bit of foreshadowing. So let's go back to the petition verbs. There are, there are only two. They're both found in chapter 4, and we'll start with verse 2. I plead with Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. That's one of them. Different translations say different things. I urge... My favorite actually happens to be King James, I beseech. There is not another word in the English language that is like beseech. It has so much behind it. And then the other one is in in verse 3. I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have concerned. So there's only two of them, to plead, to urge, and then to ask. That's, That's the only petition that is, that is laid out in this passage in Philippians. What is Paul highlighting? Y'all, it's a girl fight. I mean, can you imagine being at the church in Philippi and, he, and this letter is being written that Paul has, 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 is being read, that Paul has written to you, and all of a sudden your name is called? I would have been mortified probably hiding somewhere to be called out and then here we are 2,000 years later talking about them girl fights get ugly we don't fight like boys my husband and his best friend used to duke it out in the yard and then five minutes later they were best friends again he didn't just call them out though 
He then turned to the church and said, you have to help them. Have you guys ever seen that happen? I mean, I don't, I don't know what Alaska's like, but I can tell you that in the lower 48, we argue over the color of the carpet. We complain about the preacher's tie. We don't like the chairs. That's really the song we're going to sing this morning? Where's our focus? Where are we, where are we, what's really important to us? This idea of selfishness that used to just be in society, it seems to be seeping into the church. This whole, this, this new phrase, self-care, causes me concern. Like, I know there are things that we need to, to do, but it's not all about me. This is what I have to be about. There are two phrases that the kids at school, I'm new in this position as a, as a head of school, and there are two things that the kids are beginning to learn about me. When you come into my office because you've done something wrong, do not look at me and say it's not fair. I can't, I just cannot do that phrase. They'll say it's not fair. I'm like, oh, you should probably stop right there. Let me be the first to tell you. That and I deserve. Mrs. Moore, I deserve. Oh, mm-mm. No. Your teachers deserve respect. Beyond that, absolutely not. We do not use the word fair or deserve. But this idea of we deserve better, Christ didn't deserve to go to the cross. It wasn't fair that he was beaten and flogged for something that I did. This selfishness that creeps in, this focus that's, that's on me instead of on, on what God calls us to do as really has me concerned. It worries me the harm that it's going to cause in the body and in some places may already be caused. I feel like I need to give you a disclaimer. I have not been briefed on anything going, going on here. So I hope no one is sitting there thinking, oh, what did they tell her about me? Nothing. I, I don't. I don't know anything about what's going on in Anchorage, Alaska, I know what I've experienced in my world, and I know what scripture says that we have to focus on. So please don't think that I got a call that said you need to talk about so-and-so. Paul wrote this letter to Philippi to encourage them, and wow, we can really benefit from that. We are not immune to suffering. It, it seems like it. People are like, oh, it's America. It's the, the world of the free and everything is, 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 there's no suffering. But that's not true. And I worry when non-Christians think that if they become a Christian, they're not going to have trials anymore. James 1 and 2, it talks about. Consider it all joy when you face trials of many, many kinds. Uh, Romans 5, 3 talks about our present sufferings. None of us are getting off of this earth unscathed. We're not. I have, an, I have an AP Spanish class years and years ago. The, the debate that day, the statement that they wanted to talk about was life is not fair. That was, that was the debate of the day. And all they had to do was stand up and pick a side. Life is not fair. Life is fair. And I was shocked when every kid in the classroom walked to this side of the room and said life is fair. And I, and I said, okay, somebody who's going to start? Because you guys are going to explain this to me. Teenagers think that life is fair? And I gave them a minute. They kind of talked amongst themselves. They, they 
initiated a spokesperson, and their spokesperson explained to me in Spanish, by the way, because it's AP Spanish. Mrs. Moore, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you're born, it doesn't matter who your parents are, it doesn't matter your zip code, it doesn't matter your socioeconomic status, everybody has problems. Everybody on the planet has problems, and that's what makes life fair. It's like, well, that's a pretty interesting take from teenagers. Y'all, teenagers are smart. If you don't have the opportunity to sit around and listen to teenagers sometimes, you should do that. They are smart. And I thought, you know, they're, they're, they're right. The perception that we give to non-believers makes a huge impact on them. And it's one of the things I didn't realize until a, a sweet friend of mine from Mexico told me once, she said, I never thought I could be a Christian growing up. I was a little girl, and I would see the Christian women on their way to church, and they would be all dressed up in their very best, and everything seems to, they seem to have everything together, and they're, they've got, like, life all figured out. I couldn't be a Christian. I was a mess. What a travesty that, that we would give off the impression that we're perfect. That can be such a turnoff to people. Goodness, I'm a mess. The teenagers call it a hot mess. I mean, seriously, how many times have we pulled into the parking lot just screaming at our kids because we managed to get to church without shoes on, Elizabeth Grace, you know? Or we've bickered all morning, and now we've got to paste on this smile and go into church because everything's great. Or what about social media where all you see is, is the best that everybody has to offer? And, and the idea, I mean, be real. They've come out with be real now. You're supposed to be real about what's going on in your world. What teenager is going to put out the real life stuff? Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to feel judged. Nobody wants to feel less than. Nobody wants to feel like they can't keep up with everybody else. I've gotten very off track, by the way. Um, But for things for scriptures to be taken out of context as Christians bother me, and there's a lot of beautiful passages in Philippians, and sometimes we just pick and choose. And, And we've talked about some of those this week even God will not give you more than you can handle. Yeah, I have two. I have two different swords up there, and neither one of them say it. Um, God has plans to prosper you and not to cause you harm. Well, that one gets taken out of context all the time. All things work together for good. I mean, yes, and I don't need to hear that today. Lately, there's this new thing going around, and they call it, um, what do they call it? It's, a, it's a, like a declaration of, I declare that Satan has, um, Satan will not attack my children. I declare that my, my spouse will not get sick. I declare that my children will be successful. I declare, I mean, I don't know if you've read that lately, but I read that, and, and I think you, that is not the way life works. So what happens when what we declare doesn't come true? Do we blame God for that? Do we feel like God's word isn't truth? Like we have to be so seeped in God's truth that when, when lies come out, we recognize them. When uh, on October 29th of 
2013. I, I got up that morning. It was a Tuesday morning. I got up that morning and went to school. And y'all, I'm going to tell you the truth. I was tired already. My mom had just been diagnosed as terminally ill. I had been away from home for two weeks taking care of her. I had come home on Saturday. I had gone to school on Tuesday. I had a meeting after school, two weeks worth of sub stuff that I had to get through and we come home and y'all I'm so tired and there's so much laundry to be done that I put on this pink kind of leopard print pajama bottoms an off-white t-shirt because that was what I could find and I was wearing a black bra and our son Joshua walked in and said hey are we going to the gym and these big tears like pooled in my eyes. I was so tired that just thinking about walking to the sofa and falling into it was exhausting. And my husband, who is so sweet and so good to me, said, You know, buddy, mom's tired. Let's give her a couple of days. She has had some, some hard weeks. Let's not go to the gym tonight. Okay, no problem, Dad. I'll go for a run. So when he didn't come home, And when we found the police on the side of the road, and when we got airlifted to Children's, and three days later when we had to send him ahead to heaven, y'all, I was broken. And I wish that I could tell you I grieved pretty. I wish that I could tell you that I was so grounded in God's truth that I just went about praising him and talking about how good he was and maybe on the outside to to people that I felt like I needed to say that to but in private in my car God got an earful I'm not even kidding you I would tell him you said you wrote in scripture I have plans to prosper you you said I will not cause you harm You put those things there. I didn't ask you to write it. I wasn't on this earth. I didn't plead for you to say it. But you gave it to me, and you said, I will not harm you. I will not give you more than you can handle. I went on a search for every promise, every truth in Scripture that I could find so I could show God the error of his way. I wanted I wanted him to apologize to me. I wanted him to tell me he had made a mistake. He took my child. Joshua wanted nothing more than to bring people to Jesus. Like that was his mission in life. There's a kid at church today because 15 years ago, Joshua kept inviting him and kept inviting him. And out of the blue, three years ago, he showed up. And I said, hey. And he said, Joshua used to invite me all the time. I really regret that I didn't come with him. There's a young lady who was baptized eight years ago. She messaged me and she said, Joshua was the first person to ever tell me about Jesus. He was not a perfect child. I do need you to know that. I just share the good things. But I asked, God, what were you thinking? Like, did you think this through? All he wanted to do was serve you and bring people to you, and you just let him die? On the quest for more and more scriptures. And what I learned, because God has a way of showing us the truth when we look for it, is that all of it is true. God does have plans to prosper me for all eternity. 
God does have plans to make all things work together for good. I just shared with you about two kids who are Christians today. God uses horrible, awful things and makes beauty out of it. It's not what I wanted. I mean, had he asked me that morning when I woke up, hey, Michelle, I'm thinking about calling Joshua home today. What are your thoughts on that? I would have said that's a terrible idea. There are murderers on death row. There are pedophiles roaming our streets. God, take one of them. Why would you take my child? Who wants to serve you? But God was not surprised. We, we were taken to our knees. When you see somebody in the movies like literally fall to their knees, it is, it is truly what happens to your body. But God was not surprised. His, he was not left breathless the way we were. He knew it was going to happen. That doesn't mean he caused it to happen. Those are two very separate things. Knowing it doesn't causing it. And he took us to people that could encourage us. We're going to talk about that part later. I learned so much about how my feelings are not the same as facts. Because in the car, when I was crushed and my heart was broken and and I thought it would never get put back together, that's not the facts. That's not God's truth. One One of the sweet, there's a sweet, sweet lady that I know who still has not come back from believing that God allowed Joshua to die and took him. And she can't get past the fact that maybe God is not good. God didn't do it. We live in the land of the dying. That's where we are. We are here. We are in a sinful world those that have gone on before us, they are in the land of the living. Sin has, has taken hold of so many things because we're not going back to what's true and what's good and what's pure and what's lovely and what's noble and what's honorable and what's admirable and what's excellent and what's praiseworthy. And when we're seeped in that and life becomes difficult... It's so much, it's different. It's different getting through those trials. I wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared for the war that, that then ensued in our home. And, and here's the reality of it. I could face another war. Like just because... I've lost one child doesn't make me immune. The Christian walk is not one of those walks where it's like, okay, I've got a chronic illness, good, no more tragedy in my world. Okay, I've lost somebody, no more tragedy in my world. This world is not our home, and we're going to face trial after trial after trial after trial. There's only one way to get through it. I feel like I need to just take another pause. Y'all, this is the bad news. We're going to get to the good news. 
we're going to get there tomorrow, unfortunately. Okay, I know. <laughs> like, I'm going to tell you all these bad things and be like, sleep well, see you in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Social media doesn't help. Um, coming to church looking like we are all dressed for success and ready to go. It doesn't help. John Dunn wrote a poem, and I only remember one line of it. It's called, um, I don't know what it's called. I only remember one line of it. No man is an island. And we're not. We're not meant to do this alone. What really, really is so heartbreaking for me is when we as believers get wrapped up in a lot of this selfishness that's going on and we're listening to all the lies that are going on. We had a situation at school a few weeks back and we were really struggling to figure out how to solve it. And uh, one of of the, the ladies on our admin team said, you know, what makes this so hard is that we know better and we are no better than society because we're not doing better. Like, we know. We know what we're called to do. We know that God is good. We know the truth. But we're not living it, which makes us no better than society. There is a, there's a passage, and I didn't look it up because it just now occurred to me, that says it's better that you never known Christ than to know him and have rejected him. It would be better to never know the truth We do know the truth. But we have to define truth. We have to know exactly what it is in order to be able to live it. We have to know what it is to refute the lies. There's a second grader at an academy in Alabama. And he was asked to define truth. And he said, God's word, his truth, is like a magnet that sticks us to him. Second grader. And Colossians 1.17 does tell us, in him all things hold together. When, when, when life is hard, when our circumstances stink, God's word is still true. Our war is with evil. I'm not at war with my husband. Even though my daughter thought I was at war with her, we weren't. She was, she and I were like this during high school. Y'all was bad. My prayer was, God, please let us make it out alive and please don't let us hate each other. And uh, do you know how close we are? Y'all, these are her clothes. (laughs) Even the shoes. Yep. So true. We are at war with Satan. We're at war with evil. My husband is not my enemy. I looked at my daughter one day because she was so angry with me. And I said, you've not said a nice thing to me since I picked you up from school today. And she said, Mom, I'm so mad at you and I don't even know why. But I'm mad. I'm like, I am not your enemy. My husband is not my enemy when when we disagree. My employer is not my enemy when we disagree. My friends are not my enemy when we disagree. And, and it's just, it saddens me that in society we can't have real conversations anymore because you might disagree with me. I have parents in my office all the time. I'm like, it's okay that we disagree. 
we can walk in unity we can serve the lord together and we can disagree about how short your daughter's skirt should be we don't have to to agree on everything to serve the lord together there there are days if we allow satan into our minds if we allow him to take root and to put to put thoughts in here those lies will start to seep into here kind of makes you just want to curl up in the bed pull the covers over your head and never come out again right can't do that it's not what we were created to do it's not what we were designed to do we are designed to bring honor and glory to God in all things even the things that stink because this is not our home we are passing through I know it sounds discouraging I promise you we're going to get to good stuff tomorrow there's a lot that we can do it sounds like there's this sounds like there's not sounds like hopeless let's let's just go home let's just end now (laughs) Vernita's like what was I thinking (laughs) why did I bring her here wow we are not called to do the easy things if it were easy everybody would do it I I, our school president you know like I said we were dealing with a couple some just some hard things last week and he said Mrs. Moore I'm I'm sorry I know it's hard it is and that's what we were called to I mean how hard was it to be Paul and to sit in prison how hard was it to be Stephen and be stoned to death how hard was it to be Jesus and be crucified on a cross for something he didn't even do how hard was it to be Esther and approach the king how hard was it to be Ruth and move to a foreign country where she had never been to take care of a mother-in-law and to glean in the fields how hard was it to walk into the lion's den we weren't called to do easy things we were called to do the hard things not alone and not ill-equipped that's the bad stuff there's one passage I want us to read before we wrap up I told y'all I feel like I, I lose track of time yep my, my alarm's about to go off Romans 1 I want to read this before we go though Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 25 for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse for even though they knew God they did not honor him as God or give thanks but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened professing to be wise they became fools 
and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, because of all of that, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That is terrifying. Judges 2.10 talks about raising up a generation of people that didn't know or fear the Lord. It terrifies me that we would not talk about the sovereignty of God, the goodness of God, even in the hard stuff. Revelation 12.11 tells us they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Your testimony helps others overcome. I don't want to be given over to an impure heart because I knew the truth and chose not to accept it. We're going to draw a line there. That's the end of the bad stuff. I like to get the yucky stuff over first. I like to get through with that. Then tomorrow we get into the great stuff. So I do really pray that you sleep well tonight. I do. Like I even racked my brain for something better. How do you finish off something so depressing and discouraging as, hey, you're in a war. You didn't sign up for it. You're not going to like it. It's going to be horrible. Good night. Thank you for listening to the hard stuff. We do have to, we have to talk about it. We have to talk about it. So, um, my alarm went off. We have midnight madness to go to. Oh, we have, there's dessert. Ladies, go enjoy something sweet after, after listening to something so hard.